so blessed. As I shared on Sunday morning, I didn't share all of this with you, Brother Bill, through the text, but I just, Saturday night, I just felt just the Lord was ministering to me to reach out to you. And, and congratulations is in, is in order for, for Brother Bill and, and um, Unhi. They were married December 28th, 9th, December 29th. Would we just congratulate these newlyweds? So I don't know if I interrupted you on your honeymoon. Um, I did. I did. <laughs> and, um, but I asked at short notice. I didn't say anything else, just in short notice. Would you be available? And he responded, indeed. Indeed. Would you welcome Brother Bill as he comes to encourage us in God's word? Thank you. Thank you, Good evening. Well, they say if you're happily married, there's nothing like it. <laughs> and if you're unhappily married, there's nothing like it. <laughs> okay, just checking. I'm going to ask Unhi to take at least five minutes of my time as we gather for prayer tonight. And um, God has given her an incredible heart for God and an incredible... God started something in her family here in this church many years ago. She'll quickly give you the story, and then we'll open the book of God. So, Unhi, would you come and, and share? One of my favorite scriptures is, The blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for the righteousness, and they shall be filled. And I fear the presence of God here. You guys are hungry. If you are not hungry, you wouldn't be here. You know what? That's what drew me to this church 35 years ago, 1982. And I was going to Korean Methodist Church, and then I heard about this church. There's something different than the church that I used to go. And when I came here, I sensed such a presence of God. And I met the Lord, and then God put it in my heart to pray for my husband, Tom Hartwick. I was married to Tom Hartwick for 41 years. And I, I don't know, it's a long story. I'm just going to make it short. And uh, I start, Lord said, as long as, no matter what you take, you bring him here. Now I will touch his heart. That was the one word I heard. So, Lord, how can, how can I bring him here? So I started inviting him. But he was a good Catholic man. He never went to Assembly of God Church, you know, raise your hand. And so I begged him to come to church with me just for, you know, a couple of times. Because we lived in Parrington. I'm so far away. Can you drive for us? So he did. When he came first time, he said, way back. And then he just sat there you know, on the way out. I think my son might have been share with you. My son, David Hurtwick, I heard that he preached here a couple of times. And on the way out, he was so angry. And he said, don't you ever ask me to come back to this church. These people are crazy. They are mentally retarded, brainwashed. He was so angry because he never seen people raise the hand. And they all, he's been seeing his hand all his life on, you know, under the pew. And then I didn't say anything. And then following him, I just kept praying. I, I asked all my friends to pray. And following, God used our children. And then following me, I just did all I can. And then fourth week, I said, Lord, I can't do anymore. It's you. And I went into fasting, three days straight fasting. And then Monday, Sunday morning, 
I, I was so, third day, I was so hungry, I couldn't even get up. And I hear the shower going on. And he got up, he said, get up, we got to go to church. This is a miracle. That's the power of a prayer. You know, and then he got, we got saved here under the pastor of Touchstone. And God called us to full-time ministry. And we went to Central Bible College. And then we started church in Liverpool. And 31 years, we pastored church. And, uh, and last uh, February, he had a uh, pancreatic cancer. And he went to be with the Lord. So it was very, it was not, it was very hard time. But the thing is, uh, I see, we started here. And I, I can't believe Pastor Pat invited us. And then the memorial service, this last year, the district council was here, remember? That his memorial service was here. He, we started in this church, his memorial service here. And then, as out of the, out of the desperation, you know, you, you don't understand until you've been there, the pain of the losing the loved one. And someone told me that uh, it, it's the hardest thing is not the losing your loved one, but the learn to live with the emptiness. And that was, I was so desperately, we, we, were, we were married 41 years. So I would go to cemetery every morning and night. That's where I, my home was. And then found out Pastor Bill's wife, Laura, he, she passed away six months before Tom, and I'm in the crying in the cemetery. Next thing I see, he's coming over there and crying for his wife. That's how we got to met over the, you know, several months. And then we realized that God has brought us together. And my son, David, said, when you cannot help yourself, God help you. So he brought us together, and I thank God. I just want to say one thing. I saw the, all the, you know, I won't take any more. Let me know if it's five minutes. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to go any over. I saw that beautiful, all the names that you have on the wall, pastors. Of, that is really blessing me. Don't ever give up praying for your loved ones. I want to just tell you a short story. My mother raised five kids all by herself. My father was unsafe, never went to church all his life. But all five kids are serving the Lord there in a ministry. But my mom passed away in 1974. And she didn't see it. But following year, 75, my father went to be with the Lord. But guess what? Two months before he went to be with the Lord, he gave his heart to the Lord. You know, that's, God is so faithful. You know, God even answered your prayer after you went to be with the Lord. Isn't it wonderful? God bless you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Excellent. You've heard me, you've heard me say, probably in the past, my mother backslid when she was 19 years old, walked away from the Lord. And her mother, my grandmother, prayed for my mother for for uh, 52 years. And uh, about 10 years ago, my grandmother died. I preached my grandmother's funeral, my mother's mother. My mother was there in the service, and I didn't even know it, but in that service, after 52 years of wandering, she gave her heart to the Lord. Her sister, my Aunt Betty, said her life was radically changed forever at her own mother's funeral. 
Three months later, my mother got cancer, and six months later, I preached my mother's funeral on my birthday, December 2nd. Somebody says, how long do you pray for someone? I'll tell you how long you pray. You pray until it happens, however long it takes. Luke 18 is very clear. There's power in persistent prayer. So um, thank you, Pastor. It's a real risk. You took a real risk this week. Uh, having us come back the uh, first time together as married. We're on our 12-day anniversary. You took a real... <laughs> you, took a, you took a real risk. Um, I was at the cemetery just crying pretty much every day and t- sometimes twice a day. And then well, I went to the cemetery one day and there was a lady standing on my grave plot. I have a grave plot next to Lars. It's our spot. It's, it's our piece of the rock. And um, this lady was there standing on my, my future home. She was standing on where my spot is. My spot. I said, could, excuse me, could you move over a little bit? <laughs> Her husband is buried right next to my wife. Only God. So romance can begin in a cemetery. So, I'm not advocating that, that you go home tonight and find a cemetery <laughs> if you're single, but I'll just say it, it, worked, it worked for us. Very unexpectedly. I haven't told this at all publicly. I've never said this publicly, but a few of my very close friends knew that when my term was up, uh, this term I'm serving here in the network, when this term was up, I told some close friends that it would be my last term because I'm not going to do life alone and I'm not going to travel alone. I don't like that. I just feel very uncomfortable. And I had a plan to go to be a mountain man in Cooperstown, New York, get some land, get a tractor, and hunt and fish. And grow a beard that I've always wanted to do. But Uni came along and messed all of that up, so the rest is history. I want to direct your attention tonight for the next two and a half hours. <laughs> I'm only kidding. To Psalm chapter 40, all week I've been thinking about Daniel 9. I wanted to preach Daniel 9, but just the last moment, my, I've been overwhelmed to shift from Daniel 9 on how praying changes history to to a a psalm of prayer and song that I believe God wants you to hear tonight or I wouldn't share it. In Psalm 40, just three verses, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. This is the New Living Translation, I believe. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me and he turned to me and heard my crying. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. How many of you know there's all kinds of people in life? How many of you know there's all kinds? Abraham Lincoln said in his autobiography, uh, God must love ordinary people because he made so many of them. But there's so, we're all different. There are so many different there's so many different. I sat down the other night, uh, not just a couple months ago, really, and I just wrote down the different kinds of people I've met in life. There are angry people, angry because of past hurts, disappointments, and unfulfilled expectations they never gave to the Lord. There are overly sensitive people. You have to live on pins and needles whenever you're around them. You ever meet someone like that? There are anxious people. They're anxious because they're preoccupied with inner fears. 
There are critical people. The faults of other people are always on their minds. There are overbearing people who have to hold center stage and control everyone around them. There are pessimistic people who see the dark side of everything and love to dump it on other people. There are self-conscious people. Self-consciousness is the feeling of being observed yet not approved. Self-consciousness will make you very unhealthy. Self-awareness, though, is good for you. They're narcissistic people. What's a narcissist? A narcissist defined as someone who has an excessive admiration of themselves, an inflated sense of their own importance, and yet lives behind the mask of a fragile self-esteem that is vulnerable to the slightest correction from someone else. They're selfish and myopic people who feel entitled. The world owes them something. They're, they're takers. They're not givers. No matter how much you give them, it's never enough. But thank God there are healthy people. Healthy people are broken in will and mighty in spirit. They walk in humility. They count it a joy to serve the Lord. They know why Jesus washed feet. They love making right choices and responding to the grace of God. How many of you want to be a healthy person? Okay, four of you. That's awesome. Let's try that again. Some of you are thinking about what cemetery you're going to stop at on the way home. I I can see it in your eye. How many of you want to be a healthy person? Want to be a healthy person? And when I read this psalm, I... I, I see how God gives us insight and wisdom to be, to be a healthy person through healthy praying. Now, the boxer Sugar Ray Leonard was a boxer. He's from Tacoma, Maryland, where I, kind of not far from. I went to see him in 81, 80, when he fought Larry, uh, not Larry Holmes, but Larry Bonds in the Carrier Dome and witnessed to him under the Carrier Dome while he was training and had a great opportunity to share Jesus with him. But he made this statement. Sugar Ray Leonard said, anybody can take a punch in the face if they know it's coming. It's the punches that you don't see coming that will really hurt you. And this is Psalm 40. This is David in Psalm 40. He's in some type of distress or danger, transition. Something's caught him off guard. He can't can't help but respond. He, He cries out to the Lord. The Lord helps him. And in response to God's help, he um he writes this psalm. He 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 kind of pours out his heart to the Lord in prayer and worship and song. And, and he says, God gave, me a, God gave me a new song, he said. Now, why is, why is he singing? If you have your bulletin there, your little half sheet there that says you steady me, I want you to just take this. I want to give you a, just right from the psalm tonight as we, we gather together, just before we gather in corporate prayer. I want you to see how David prayed and how God teaches us to be healthy through a healthy prayer life. I'm not going to scream and holler at you for the next 30 minutes on you need to pray more. You need to pray more. Turn the television off. Excuse me. Turn the television off. You know, I've, I've heard scream, pe- preachers screaming, hollering, and telling, telling people what to do my whole life. And that doesn't change the human heart. Yelling at people and telling them what to do is meaningless. It's useless. The gospel isn't good advice. It's good news. Advice is telling people what to do. But news is reporting of news, something that's already been done. How many of you thank God the gospel is good news? because the gospel is what changes my human heart. I don't want to be stirred. I want to be changed. And the gospel does that. So just take out a pen or a pencil. If you don't have one, reach in your neighbor's purse and take out $20 for pizza on the way home. 
as she passed by the cemetery, and, and just write down a few, few wisdom discoveries from Psalm 40, and here it is. Number one, God hears us when we pray. Look at that on your study sheet. Would you write that in under the gratitude of David's prayer and song? God hears us when we pray. Would you say that with me out loud? God hears us when we pray. How many of you are grateful that God hears us when we pray? David said in Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. What's that mean? I waited patiently. He had to wait. You know why? Because relief didn't come right away. How many of you here have perfected waiting patiently? A couple months ago, this is, I'm not making this up. A couple months ago, I got on an elevator. I can't remember where I was. I got on an elevator, the door shut, and I'm waiting. And I'm waiting for the thing to move. I'm waiting, and I'm saying to myself, stupid elevator, stupid elevator, stupid elevator. What is wrong? Why, why can't they make an elevator that works? Stupid elevator. And then the door opened back up, and this kid got on with a swimsuit, and he pushed the button. Door shut, and the elevator went up. I forgot to push the button. I'm griping on the inside impatiently. And there's something about the human heart that is prone to be in a hurry. I have two words for you, you're normal. You're normal. David understood that waiting is uncomfortable, but waiting is not in vain. Like one of the prayers already prayed tonight and said, uh, sometimes, uh, and Unhi said, uh, her, mo- her, her, her mom prayed and prayed and prayed and years, years, years. Never forget this, friends. At times, God's work is invisible, but God is working even when you cannot see him. Your hair is growing even though you cannot see it, for most of you. Your grass is growing even though you cannot see it. You are getting older even though you cannot see it. God is working tonight. My second discovery is this. God lifts us out of the pit in prayer. Look what David said. He said, he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. Now, what is the pit, the mud and the mire? That's a picture that represents David's circumstance or really his feeling. It's not a literal pit in the ground. It's not literal mud. It's not literal mire and marsh and swampland. But these are pictures that describe what he feels like. He feels like he's slipping. He feels like he's stuck. He feels like he's murky. He feels unsure. He's overwhelmed and uncertain of his future. Where do I go from here? What is the seasons were changing around him? And he's he's wondering what's next. He's a little unsure. He's going through all the same thoughts that all of you all all of you go through because of a changing season in his life. How many of you know tonight? Life is seasonal. I've made some discoveries over the last year about seasons, and here they are. Every season is different than the previous season. Every season requires something different of us. Every season is just a season. 
When the seasons are good, we don't put our hope in the season. And when the season is tough, we don't throw in the towel during the season. We keep our trust in the Lord. Every season is orchestrated by the same faithful God. And every season is preparing you for the next season. Here's what I remind myself. I write these things down and I travel with some things to remind myself of some things because I'm prone to forget. Remember this. Tough seasons are not always about leaving something. Sometimes, more often, they're about learning something. That may be for you tonight. Running from your problems doesn't solve your problems. Wishing you were somewhere else will waste the season that you are in. I mean, did you see all the... You saw it last week if you watched any of the news. If I could only win the $450 million Powerball. If I could only... I, they interviewed people all over the country. Oh, if I could, oh, oh, if I win this, my life would change. If only I could win, my life would, if only, I, I was even prone one night to, because to, I get up in the morning and to, you know, my, my, for all my life, my Christian life, my, my prayer time and quiet time is normally, normally between six and eight. And, and then I get married to this person from South Korea and, and I get up and she's already up and I, and I look over in the last 12 nights and I'm like, oh God, the rapture, she's gone, I'm left behind. And she's, and, and she's, and la- even last morning, I got up and went out into the living room, and, and I saw this. Uh, there, there was no lights on in the house, c- completely dark, except the fireplace. And I see this little figure sitting on the floor on this little blanket, and it, it just looks like an angel from, from, from heaven sitting in front of, front of a fire. And I'm thinking, I was kind of groggy. I was like, what is that? Who is And she's praying. She's not screaming and hollering, but she's praying. I remind myself, if we knew what God knew, we wouldn't resent what God does. David said, God lifted me out of the, out of the pit in mire. You know what God did? God did for David in prayer? Here's what God did. God lifted him out of his worry and consumed with himself because he he transferred responsibility over to the Lord. How many of you thank God we have someone to cast our cares upon? That's what David was doing. You know what worry is? Worry is not believing that God will get it right. Worry is praying to yourself, C.S. Lewis said. The second thing David's, third thing David said is God steadies us as we walk along. Write that down. God what? He what? He steadies us. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. What does that mean? The word steady means to prepare, make ready, set up, determine, make firm, establish, fix, and make stable. God steadied him as he what? As he maintained communion with the Lord in place of prayer. In other words, the psalmist said in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of the righteous are what? Ordered of the Lord. But how many of you know we still have to do the walking? And as we walk along, God steadies us and strengthens us and establishes us in the journey. How does God steady you? You have choices like David. David. 
David could feel sorry for himself. Well, that's a waste of time and energy. Having pity parties. David can dwell on the past. That will rob you of enjoying the present. David can feel the world owes him something. He can carry a chip on his shoulder. Make you a taker, not a giver. David can live afraid and worried, which is accepting responsibility God never intended for you to carry. The question is tonight, and I want to focus on this these last few minutes, is how does God steady your heart in the place of prayer? How, how can you get up from praying and leave praying daily and be different than when you started praying or got down on your knees or whenever you prayed or however you prayed. And I'm not into like uh, shouting or screaming and like God is deaf or he's not silent either or scared. I understand all that. Some people pray. I've, I've been in crazy charismatic circles where I watched somebody teach once. If you're going to receive anything from God, you can't put your palms out like this because the blessings will roll off. Some people say you got to put your hands straight up because it's like a, a lightning rod. You'll, you'll be closer to heaven. I heard a guy say you have to pr- worship God like a funnel so you'll catch it and it all runs down. The, I'm not into that. Okay. I've had three car accidents, drowned nearly once. That's four, uh, three cars. Been held up twice. And when you got a gun at your head and, and a guy says he's going to blow a, a hole in your head because I grabbed his gun and tried to shoot him during a, arm, during a robbery, um, I tell you, I don't have time to think, mm-hmm, how should I do this right now? Mm, let me think. Uh, is this it this way? Is it this way? Is it that way? Uh, no, I haven't got time for that. Why? Because prayer is not a matter of, 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 of of your gymnastics. Prayer is a spirit. It's an attitude. It comes from your heart. You can pray without ceasing with your eyes open, driving down the throughway. Hello? Prayer is a, is a mindset, and it, and it helps you all. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. It keep, means to keep a heart and mind fixed on the Lord. Five days after Laura died, 16 months ago, my, one of my closest friends in Syracuse, he says, you can't sit home. He said, we're going hunting. I said, what? I just buried Laura on Monday. He said, it's opening day of deer season. It's Friday. You can't sit home. I said, Laura just died with the gravest. So he said, we're going to the woods. Hmm. Kumbaya in the woods. I got dressed up. Doe lore, buck lore, whatever you call it. Got my bow and I went out, climbed up in the tree in the dark at four or five o'clock in the morning. It was awesome. Sitting in a tree, the sun comes up and I'm thinking, wow. And I just started praying. Spent the day by myself in the woods. Dressed like Rambo. <laughs> smelling like an opposite sex deer. Oh, it was wonderful. Talking Praying in the spirit, not out loud, quietly, deer can hear. So I was just praying under my breath. Why? Because prayer comes from your heart. Hello, your heart. God sees your heart. Richard Foster calls it silent prayer. You can pray silent. The Bible says Hannah prayed and her lips moved not. Figure that one out. She prayed and didn't move her lips. Hmm. You mean you can pray with your mouth shut? Oh, Absolutely. So here's how David prayed. We pray, look at this, remembering God's grace. Would you write the word down, grace? Here's how, here's how you will be a healthy and, and a very toxic culture. 
according to scripture. We pray remembering God's grace. David said in Psalm 39 to you, when I was silent, my, my anguish increased. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry. Be not deaf to my weeping. What is David doing with his tears? Here's what he's doing. He's accessing God's grace in prayer. Instead of stuffing his tears, he's what? He's praying his tears. Did you hear that? We can stuff our feelings or we can what? Give them to God and pray our feelings. He accesses grace. You know why? He knows that it's safe in God's presence. He's safe. How many of you know you can tell God anything you want? You know why you can do that? Because he won't tell everybody else. You can't do that with some people. Facebook. (laughs) But you can tell God anything that's on your heart tonight. How many of you thank God you can tell God anything? Anything. He knows that God understands because Jesus wept. He knows where his tears belong. He speaks his feelings. He pours them out. So we pray remembering God's grace to us. Secondly, we pray remembering the cross. The cross. David said in Psalm 22, 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's prophetic of what Jesus would pray on the cross. We, all, we understand that. But in the garden, Jesus also prayed, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Why are these prayers recorded? To show us how God studies us. We take our tears in prayer. We envision the cross. We see how Jesus felt abandoned, but wasn't really abandoned. We see how Jesus prayed his tears and was strengthened. We discover here that we can plant our tears or we can waste our tears. Did you hear that? You can plant them for a future harvest or you can waste them. How do we plant our tears? We see the cross. What do you mean? We see God's son suffering for us. We pray remembering that his suffering, which is far greater than our suffering will ever be. We look at the cross and we can be patient in our tears. We're humbled at the cross instead of proud, which will crucify our self-pity, impatience, oversensitivity, cynicism, entitlement mentality. David praises tears and remembers the pain of Jesus. And this allows God to what? Steady him and protect him from self-preoccupation, self-absorption, self-inflicted pain. I just scribbled this on a piece of paper uh, yesterday. When we realize that God is thinking about us all the time, we can stop thinking about ourselves all the time. Did you hear that? That's why people who are good prayers are unselfish because they're not always thinking about what? The only way you can stop thinking about yourself all the time is by understanding this truth from Scripture. God is thinking about you all the time. That frees you. There's freeing power in that. Somebody told me that most American churchgoers are, all, are always listening to the same radio station, WIIFM. What's that mean? What's in it for me? WIIFM. Well, God teaches us we can be healthy people. We can be healthy prayers. And thirdly, we pray remembering our future. Remembering our future. Those who sow in tears will what? We will eventually see our prayers turn into what? Turn into praise. The psalmist has an assurance of a future glory. We often have a fear of our feelings not changing. We often have a fear of not getting better. We often have a fear of our prayers being wasted. But God is at work all the time. All the time. 
He says our tearful prayers will ultimately end in praise. Shall, reap, and joy means not maybe, possibly, hopefully, or I hope so. What's this do? It encourages everybody here at Greece Assembly tonight. Everybody here without exception. It encourages you tonight to look forward, to not be afraid of the future, of, letting, of getting hurt by people or so, something painful around the corner because you know in the end there's an ultimate joy that awaits all believers. That's why we do not lose heart. That's why last week when I heard about the 12, uh, was it 12 or 22? 20, 22 missionaries last week were captured by ISIS and they told them they were going to be murdered, martyred. They were going to be killed the following day. That's why they, they, stu- they stood firm. Why? Because they know ultimately what? We win. Now, as much as your pastor loves the New England Patriots, unfortunately, <laughs> as much as he wants to wear a Tom Brady jersey in these upcoming Sundays during the playoffs, as much as he does all of that and roots and probably gathers his family and has a holy huddle and the four kids pray, oh, God, help Tom Brady this Sunday, as much as he may do that, your pastor does not know if the Patriots are going to win this Sunday. That's right. I'm with you. Yes. Amen. They, we just don't know that. There's not a blessed assurance. And I'm sorry. <laughs> but there is this blessed assurance. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And everything we see and have here will ultimately, the Bible says, turn to what? It will turn to praise. Look at the purpose of the song, and here's the ultimate purpose of why we're praying and why you're here tonight. Why does God hear your prayers tonight here as we're gathered? Why are you allowing God to change you more and more? Why are we hopeful and not resistant to change? What's the ultimate purpose of praying this season of prayer at Greece Assembly? Look at verse 3, Psalm 40. Many will see what he, that's God, has done and be astounded and put their trust in the Lord. Did you hear that? What's the purpose of your healthy prayer life? What's the purpose? The purpose of God rescuing you and helping you be healthy and whole and enjoying the journey. You know what the purpose of that is? Here's the purpose. The purpose is for the benefit of someone else. David said that others would see him in you and be amazed in God. How many of you know this tonight's service, it's not about you and the church is not about us. How many of you know it's all about making his name famous in this town where God has placed us? It's not about me. I know Britney Spears wore that t-shirt once. It's all about me. And me and Britney are one when it comes to birthdays. Her birthday is the same as mine. Different year, I'm younger. It's not about you. It's not about me. As one preacher said to me, hey, Bill, it's not your way. It's not my way. It's Yahweh. We're here tonight to make his name famous. So is the prayer of your life causing others to look beyond you and experience the wonder and trust in him? The purpose of your song and your prayer life is what? Verse 3. The whole reason why you're here, why you're here, and we're aligning ourselves together tonight, standing in the gap. So many will see what he has done and be astounded, and they will put their trust in the Lord. That's why you can't quit. 
Waste time, pout, murmur, complain, stay the same. Why? Write this down under number two. At the there, because there's a higher purpose for your life than you are fully aware of. There's a what? There's a higher purpose. I conclude with the message of the song, and we're going to pray. What's the message of this prayer of David? Here's the message in verse 9 and 10. I have told you told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness, number one, your saving power, number two. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love, number three, and faithfulness, number four. What is David's theme for? Justice, faithfulness, saving power, unfailing love. Do you know that at the cross, all four of these collide together and are perfectly seen? This is a gospel-centered psalm. God's justice was satisfied by Jesus' act of obedience, the perfect, righteous, sinless life, and Jesus' passive obedience, allowing himself to be punished and take your place. God's faithfulness is demonstrated, secondly, in the keeping of his promises to people, even at great cost to himself. Thirdly, God's saving power is seen in a moment of victory emerging from apparent defeat. Jesus would not save himself so he could save us and deliver us from sin's dominion. You know what happened to us on a Sunday night? Uh, Ooh, and he and I was the last night in uh, Naples, Florida. And uh, we saw this little advertisement said you can take a cruise and kind of go through this out to the Gulf of Mexico. Two-hour cruise, sunset cruise. So we got on this boat, about 25 other people, and we slowly uh, took off from, from the shoreline. The ship set sail from shore that day and charted desert all with Unhi and Willie too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the song, Gilligan's. If you're over 50, you know that. And so we started out, and, we, and, and, and as we start out, the, the captain of the boat, he's going to give us a history tour as we go along. And so we pull along, and, 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 he, and he started explaining about all the billionaires and millionaires that have, and there's a special place where they took us to where the, you know, the rich and famous and opulent, and yacht after yacht after yacht after, and the average home there was between 12 and $14 million. So we looked, after, after sitting there for an hour looking, after, looking at one $12 to $16 million home after another, after another, another I, I kind of... It kind of got, I kind of got, I got really sad. In fact, I woke up in the middle of the night, Sunday night. I'm not opposed to that. If you've got it, enjoy it. But that's not your ultimate purpose on planet Earth. And the captain is explaining the opulent lifestyle there, or this owner and this owner, he's naming names that you would know. And, and for two hours, we, and at the, at, the, at the end of it all, I, I, you know, I talked to my son, and Robbie often reminds me of the John Ortbook's book, you know, at the end of the day, Dad, it's like Monopoly. At the end of the day, you beat us in Monopoly all, all as we were kids because you've got Atlantic, Boardwalk, Park Place. You've got it all. But remember, Dad, at the end of the day, it all goes back in the box. You know, isn't that deflating? Don't, don't you hate it when your teenagers tell you you take three hours to beat them in Monopoly and then they smile and say at the end of it all, Dad, remember, you're going in the box. And it's true. Aren't you glad there's more to this than this? And so we, we didn't resent or envy or were jealous. 
we just discussed going back, getting off the, the boat, we discussed how happy you can be without having stuff. And isn't that more important? Because stuff will stay. And when you're in need of God, stuff can't help. I end with what all this means. Write it down at the end. We are sinful beyond belief, yet we're loved beyond measure. We are so sinful that Jesus had to die for us, yet so loved that he was glad to die for us. And tonight, no one here is so good that they don't need the grace of God, and no one is so bad that they can't receive the grace of God. Remember as we gather in prayer tonight, it's not the level of your faith. It's the object of your faith. Did you hear that? It's not the level of your faith. It's the object of your faith. Who's the object? It's Jesus. And remember tonight, according to the psalm, you don't get into heaven by proving how good you are. You get in by admitting how flawed you are. Did everybody hear that? If you're here tonight and maybe you're a guest visitor, second time, third time, one month you've been coming, two months you're checking us out to see, see what this Greece assembly is all about, family. Uh, you know, you're not like Unheath, you know, Tom, and thinking we're all crazies. No. We understand tonight, everybody here, we don't get into God's kingdom by proving how good we are. We get in by admitting how flawed we are. So when you come to prayer tonight, remember, there's, there's an open door of grace. Not because you are good, but because God is good. Not because you are great, but because God is great. Tonight, let's trust him for that. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer? Let's all bow our heads in a word of prayer just for a moment. I would never want to miss an opportunity that God in his sovereign will and plan knows that people, we're all here tonight as an answer of prayer. I only stand here tonight because my grandmother prayed for me for 19 years. If you're here tonight and possibly you're not absolutely positively sure you're born again of the Spirit of God, but tonight, God's been dealing with your heart and prodding you and provoking you along days, days, and days leading up. I, I sense the presence of God here tonight because God wants to draw us to himself. And God, by his spirit, may be drawing your heart to himself. That's where your joy will be found in every season of life. You'll discover, as Mother Teresa said, he is enough. He's more than enough. And Corey Ten Boom said the same thing. You'll never know he's all you need until he's all you've got. He'll be enough. And if you're here, and you're willing to admit that, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you, Jesus. I'm not sure I'm born again of the Spirit of God, but tonight, Lord, in my own quiet place, sitting in my seat here in a prayer meeting, I'd like to pray and open up my heart to you tonight, Jesus. I want you to bear witness in my spirit that, Lord, I'm born again tonight as I pray a simple prayer to you. If that's the prayer of your heart tonight, would you just slip up your hand? That's all I'm going to ask you to do to let me know you're here. You're not absolutely positively sure, but you want to make sure before you leave. You want to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart. If that's you tonight, would you just slip it up and hold it high enough until I can see it? God bless you, sir. I see that. Thank you for your transparency and your honesty before God. Thank you. You may put it down. 
Anyone else? You're not absolutely positively sure, but you want to make sure before you leave tonight. Lord, I thank you tonight for being here to answer prayer. I pray God tonight as we bow our hearts before you. You would reveal yourself strong, God, in the heart of my brother. See, empties himself of himself and says, Jesus, tonight, I give myself to you. Thank you, Jesus. So we ask you to forgive us and cleanse us and save us and wash our sins away and repent and turn and put our trust in Jesus. Meet us in prayer, Lord. As we bow our heart, help us to not stuff our tears, not stuff our feelings. Help us to pray them tonight. Come transparent before God to have a healthy heart and give the things that we need to give to you tonight. We trust you for it, Lord, and you'll carry them, and you'll carry us, and you'll steady us as we walk along with a healthy spirit and healthy praying. Let's all stand together. Pastor's given us permission to invite you. Let's all stand together. I want to invite you tonight to come, and if you have... I can't think of anything more important to do in the next 15 or 20 minutes. I couldn't think of one thing on planet Earth more important to do in the next 15 or 20 minutes than for us to gather together and let's pray for a great awakening. Can we do that tonight? Let's pray for a great awakening that his name would be made famous through all of us praying in the body of Christ corporately throughout Rochester. Let's gather together tonight. Could we? Let's find a place to pray. If you can, if you're physically able, just step out of your seat right now. Just come and find a place to kneel along here. It's our uh, team will sing back up some music and we'll worship God. But if you have to leave, we understand. But just come and gather. And then we're going to make some specific targeted prayers. Pastor Pat will lead that. But just come and just feel welcome. Uh, Greece Assembly is a safe place. You don't have to be afraid. Nobody's going to scream at you, push you shout in your ear, rub your neck. No, we're not going to do, we're just going to come and we're going to pray. We're going to gather together and pray. We're going we're gonna to seek the Lord like David teaches us to seek the Lord, like God teaches us. Let's prostrate ourselves before the Lord tonight. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Let's humble ourselves. Prayer is humility. Prayer is humility. Prayer is saying, God, without you I can't. Prayer is saying, God, I can't do this by myself. Prayer is saying, God, I need your help. Prayer is saying, God, I want you involved in my heart. My mother, my father, my son, my daughter, my brothers, my sister, my neighbors, my co-workers, God. God, I want you to make your name famous that others may see you in us. And if you're not sure what to pray for, pray that prayer tonight. Pray Psalm 40, verse 3. Lord, may others see you when they look at us. 